think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 285 of Low Limit Football on this 8th of June, 2020. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, Bayern Munich continue their winning ways with a 4-2 triumph over Bayer Leverkusen. They now need just six points from their last four matches to secure their eighth straight Bundesliga title. We have transfer news as a big-name striker is set to move to England. We're going to discuss the move, and football returns to Spain this week with the Seville Derby. We're going to discuss that and much more with La Liga Lowdown's Ewan McTeer, who will be just joining us in a few minutes. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How you been, my man? I've been good, Joe, but let me ask you this. Mm. Have you been at hard? Have you been working hard in your backyard I as have. hard as Cavani is working in his farm? <laughs> well, I don't have any sheep to shear. Um, so I would say he's working harder than me, but I've got a good vegetable garden going, so I don't know. Well, you saw that other video that I sent you the other day. It was he was working on his he was doing ab exercises. Yes. He's like cutting grass. <laughs> hey, you know, any way he's got to do it to get it done, right? I mean, he th this is a man still trying to keep his job, right? You think about it, what's going on, you know, with transfers and everything. This guy wants to make sure he's multi-talented. He can help out in the uh, in the locker room, you know, he can help out with the trainers and stuff. This guy knows what he's doing and he, obviously He's able to make his own kits for the national team, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh man. Speaking of, you know what? Speaking of PSG, real quick, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Tiago Silva will not be renewed. This was breaking I did. news. Just I did a, see that. Yeah, just a little while ago. So, you're going to have Tiago Silva as a free agent out there, and I think he's 31 years old, Rob. Currently. No, 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 no. I thought he 35. Was 30. Oh, he's even older. Okay, so I mean, eight years at PSG, and he's going to be moving on. You know, he's still not terrible, though. Uh, yeah, so someone's gonna yeah, get a decent. Yeah, definitely. I think um, that'd be interesting. Yeah. I mean, all all signs would assume he would go back to Brazil. Yeah, I, I was gonna say just because just because of one his age and two, who's who's gonna invest in a thirty five year old center back? Right. 
not you know not not anybody big. But you know the thing is, is that he does bring a lot of experience. So for sure, there's there there might be something to it where where a team might that needs center back help. I mean, there there are a few teams in England that might want to just bring him in on a flyer, right? I mean, he's free, so he doesn't cost you a ton because mm. you just got to pay his wages. Wages, so, yeah, yeah, and, and then and then you negotiate the wages. So. You could possibly see him do something like that for a year or two, but I, I agree with you. I think he's probably headed back to Brazil and, and, and sail off into the sunset for sure. So mm-hmm. um, so let's get to it. Before we give you opening thoughts, I have a new Who uh, Who Am I this week. So, okay. Uh, and, and I'm going with a Spanish theme because, you know, we're so excited. La Liga is coming back. Um, the, and just in time because the Bundesliga race, like you heard in the monologue, is all all but decided at this point, especially with the massive win over Bayer Leverkusen. That was dominant this week by Bayern Munich. So you've got to think that they've kind of sealed up that Bundesliga title. So now enter Real Madrid, enter Barcelona, and, and another massive race, two points separating the teams. It's going to be fantastic. Um, so I wanted to go Spanish. And so my first clue to you, my friend, this Spanish midfielder started in the Real Madrid system but did not play for the senior team. He has played for three teams in two different leagues, though. Okay. Okay. And he's still active. I want to add that in as well. Okay. So. Okay. So that's a start. Uh, the second one, the second clue is a good clue, and I don't think you're going to have it by the second clue. Third clue, guaranteed. You've got okay. it, but we'll get there. So let's go to opening thoughts, my friend. And another thing that we alluded to in the monologue was that the, we've got big transfer news. We've got a big striker that is going to be on the move. Uh, I believe at this point, Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, this is all but confirmed. But Timo Werner is going to shun Bayern Munich. He's going to shun Liverpool and go to Chelsea. Chelsea have agreed in principle to sign the German international at 55 million euro um, when, when his uh, release clause expires on June 15th. He is 24 years old, 200,000 pounds a week to move to Stamford Bridge. This is a massive move. And, uh, you know, I like the move. I think the kid is a massive talent. I love the way he plays. He's got a nose for goal. Um, he's almost a little Lewandowski-ish. And for me, it's going to be great to see how he proves himself in Chelsea. I My question to you is, Rob, with Hakim Ziyech coming in, um, you know, obviously Pulisic came in in the, uh, in, in the transfer window. You know, we've, we've, got, we've got some great young talent at Chelsea moving in as well. How does Timo Werner fit in? Does he fit in with Tammy Abraham? What are your thoughts on this move? And, and, and actually, I also want your thoughts on shunning Bayern Munich. This is the, this is the national team striker, and he shunned Bayern Munich. I'm, I'm curious what you think of that as well. Well, I think when you look at a player, first of all, I think when you get someone as versatile as Tino Werner, you know, you can play in numerous positions. You know, mm-hmm. he can. It's kind of similar to his compatriot, uh, who's also been having a stellar season so far. At um, in, in Bayer Leverkusen, and that's Kai Havertz, who obviously is also the kind of the the um, the, the, the everyone wants him. So I think it's really interesting to see Chelsea go into it. They do, however, you know, need to get rid of that deadware that they've had. You know, the likes of a William, the Pedros, Giroud of the world, um, and, and invest in this youth. That's why we got the likes of Pulisic. That's why we're seeing the likes of Mason Mount and uh, Hudson Odoi. Uh, Tammy Abraham coming in as well. Now you bring in Ziyech. Now you bring in Timo Werner. Mm-hmm. That just shows that I think Frank Lampard, Frank Lampard is building a side that is able to perhaps contend for the Premier League, but also you know if they if they get lucky and they're able to reinforce even more so, they they're in for a shot to see how they can do in the Champions League. Right? I think the the big objective for them is for that Premier League title. I think um, 
when you look at how where he his best played off, I mean, I think he's always been known as a striker. So if I were to play, I'd put him there. Uh, it, it will be interesting to see if Abraham is going to make like a duo. So you play like a a four two four two 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 or something four four two. I don't know. Or, or or if you if you will shift it a bit more, what you can do is you can do a four two three one. You could have. Uh, Assuming he gets fit, you have Pulisic playing on the wing uh, and Ziyech on both wings as well. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Werner as a ten, who is able to not only just create, but you know he can go up front and, and and try to be that kind of poacher, but just work off behind um, the striker, which would be Abraham in this sense. So I think it's a, I think it's a good investment. I think when you look at what Bayern Munich and even Liverpool to the extent as well, I think for Liverpool. It, it, it seems as if, though, perhaps they're not ready yet to get rid of the likes of a Firmino or a Salah or a Mane. I think it's just too early because the pieces there have been working. Mm-hmm. I think with time, you know, you're going to bread in someone that is going to, but that perhaps will, will come out that, you know, slowly integrate into that Liverpool side. I think that's how I see it. As for Bayern Munich, I mean, you know, they. They still have Lewandowski, so why, why uh, break something that isn't that isn't broken? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have Serge Gnabry on the wings. You have you still have a Thomas Muller who's having a great season as well. So it's like it, it's it's a system that's working. I think eventually, I think the big question will be what happened to Kai Havertz. I mean, I know we're not we're talking about Timo Werner here, but I think for Kai Havertz, I think just because he's a bit more versatile and is able to be more flexible on different positions more than Werner. Werner is definitely more of a scorer, but I think Havertz is more um, you know, flexible on different roles on the attack. So I think that's how I personally see it, Joe, and you know, good business for, for Chelsea to get get him at fifty five million, you know. I think it it's roughly I think he I would say he's roughly around that price as well. I mean I wouldn't say he's much more, much less. I, I was thinking around the fifty range, but if he was if they are buying him more for more what it's worth, which kind of makes sense because you want to assure it, then I think it's good business off Chelsea if they're able to to get off the, the right piece for, for for them. And thank you for the lead-in because that's actually where I was going to go with it next. Uh, transfer market, I just looked him up, has Timo Werner rated at 64 million euros. So it's actually, if you think about it, a little bit of a discount that Chelsea comes in on. And I know you and I have talked about it before how uh, English clubs tend to tend to overspend a little bit. Um, you know, they've got that massive TV contract. They have the money. They're able to kind of make those mistakes. So this not only is it's unusual because it's out of that scope. It's it's, it's actually great business. They get a guy at really a ten million euro discount if you look at it, and they get a twenty four year old striker, twenty four year old proven striker. Um, and I think it's I think it's a massive move for them. I think it's a great move, and you know it will certainly go well. Um, who scored uh, on their Twitter feed? posted a while back or just recently what Chelsea could look like next season given the transfers that are are supposedly going to happen and they start with Ariza Barlaga um, Kepa in the back they start with uh, Espilicueta Tomori Rudiger and Chilwell across the back line and uh, and they've got this Rob in a 4-3-3 the midfield consists of N'Golo Kante Jorginho and Mason Mount and your uh, your your three across the top Tammy Abraham Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner so you by by who scored They've left out Christian Pulisic. They've left out Callum Hudson-Odoi. Um, do you think this 4-3-3 is something that they would go with, or do you, do you really think that Frank Lampard's going to change things so that he can kind of incorporate as many pieces as possible? 
I think it's that. I think what we've seen from the Chelsea side this season is that, you know, we've seen different types of formations being played out, um, you know, switching from a, a back three then to a back four, mm-hmm. um, going up front with one main striker or using, you know, three players as um, as your wingers. So, yeah, I, I think just because of these pieces, I think Lampard understands that, you know, he has all these pieces and you don't want to put them all in together because they're, they're only able to use their strengths in where they best fit. So I think that's going to be the big question mark. I think it's a, it's a good problem to have because yeah. while you, know, you can't fit all of these players, it proves that you, know, you have that depth you know, just in case something does happen. Yeah. So, I mean, I, wouldn't, I, I personally wouldn't play that. I mean, I would perhaps... Because I well obviously maybe I'm a bit biased but I do want to see Pulisic on on the pitch a bit more. Sure. Um, so so yeah, it, it probably is that you know maybe we see a rotation with him and Mason Mount and and that's it really. I think you could I think you could really rotate as best as you can because I don't think you could work with a fixed starting eleven. I think if they're able to be consistent and obviously to to save time and you know rotate when possible. I think Chelsea have a um, have a good side linked uh, prepared uh, for the next season. I, I, you know, for me, I, I almost feel like they would be better off playing a four one three two. Um, so they could put Ab- Abraham and Werner up top, and Angolo Conte in front of the back four. And you start to wonder: Does Jorginho have a place on this on this Chelsea side anymore? Um, I know Saudi is is dying to get him over at. Juventus. I know that there's talk of Juve looking at Sandro Tonali as well. We talked about it a little bit last week. Um, and Jorginho is certainly another option that would want to be reunited with Saudi. But my understanding is Chelsea doesn't want to let uh, Jorginho go, or at least go that easily. So I, I think Chelsea has a they have a nice problem, right? I mean, you think about the talent that they do have, and you think about the pieces that they have that they can bargain with. Uh, you talked about a lot of the Deadwood, like the Pedro, like the Olivier Giroud, and those types of things that they could sell off fairly cheap. Um, you know, maybe make a little bit of money back. But the Jorginho part, I think, is an interesting one because I think, you know, does he go back? Does Chelsea find a way to sell him? Does Chelsea even want to sell him? Um, I think these are better questions for Alex Goldberg. But, uh, you know, but, but I, think, I think it's an interesting problem that Chelsea's certainly going to have to solve in this, uh, in this transfer window for sure. So, um, so again, the, the news of the week, uh, Timo Werner uh, looks like he's on his way to Chelsea. 55 million pounds, uh, 55 million euro, I, I'm sorry. And uh, going to add a, a great striking force to Chelsea. And Chelsea really kind of make a statement here with this move that they want to compete not only for the Premier League, they want to compete in Champions League. They want, they want to be top flight, top, top, and, and, and compete on all these levels. And they certainly have the depth, and, and I think they pick up a massive striker in the process as well. So let's, uh, let's table the Timo Werner discussion for now and ahead to our next, uh, our next guest. Our guest is um, Ewan McTeer author of Ibar the Brave, one of the hosts of La Liga Lowdown, uh, was kind enough to give us a few minutes of his time to look at the La Liga season as we start to ramp back up. They've got 11 matches to play, Rob, which is, I think, fantastic. We've got, we've got plenty of football coming out of Spain over the next uh, you know, six to eight weeks. And and I think it's going to be exciting because you have a massive tra- you have a massive race at the top. You do have the uh, you have the relegation battle there as well. You've got some European spots. Atleti, what's going to happen with them? They're currently sitting, if I remember correctly, sixth. So there's a lot of drama going to happen in La Liga as soon as they kick back off. So without further ado, the Ewan McTeer interview. 
Joining us now on Low Limit Football from La Liga Lowdown and the author of Ibar the Brave, Ewan McTair. Ewan, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you back on again and can't wait to talk about La Liga with you. I want to start out real quick talking about Lionel Messi. Uh, Messi had returned to training as did everybody else in Spain, however picked up a slight knock, but it looks like it is not going to affect him. When you look at, at a possible Messi injury and combined with Luis Suarez actually being able to return for the rest of the season, how, what do you think of Barcelona's process? Prospects are of continuing their run, winning the La Liga title, especially being two points up on Real Madrid without having any more matches to play against each other. Hey guys, pleasure to be on. Yeah, exactly. Barcelona probably quite glad to have this break. Obviously, we didn't want football to stop. Obviously, we didn't want the world to completely change the way that it has done. But there are certain teams that are going to benefit from the break, from halting bad momentum. Um, from having closed door games maybe now, from having extra substitutes, from all the different circumstances that are going to be different for these final 11 rounds of the season. And Barcelona might be one of them. They went top of the table just before uh, action stopped. And then, yeah, they didn't expect to have Luis Suarez back this season. He went for surgery on his knee in January. But because of this pause, he's available. He got the medical green light on Saturday. Messi has picked up a minor injury um, as they as they prepare for the return of La Liga, but even he is expected to be back for their first game back against Mallorca. So for Barcelona, it's it's the same old front duo. Messi Suarez are going to be together again, and you know what they like. They understand each other so well, and that's going to be massive because until um, this happened, until Suarez came back, it looked like it was going to have to be Martin Braithwaite who they signed as an emergency signing after the winter transfer window. It looked like he was going to have to step up. Um, but now to have Luis Suarez there, that's going to be much more comfortable and comforting for Barcelona fans. Now, looking into the schedule that Barcelona have, and of course their rivals around Madrid, you and you know, a two-point difference uh, between the two teams uh, who occupy the top positions. You know, you look at the schedule real quick, you know, Barcelona still have to play obviously after the game against Mallorca when they come back on the 13th, but they still have to play Sevilla, they still have to play Atletico Madrid, you know, whereas Real Madrid, you know, they have teams like Valencia, Sociedad, who've had a good season so far. I mean, it, it, they're kind of similar schedules in a way, so I think when you look at how, you know, especially because of the congestion of so many games in such little time, you know, it's basically whoever blinks first might be really decisive of a, of a league title there. Exactly. Whoever blinks at all, you're right. Um, you know, there's not many games left, two points in it. You almost can't afford to drop any points. And the schedule, you mentioned the schedule, it's really interesting. I think Real Madrid do have, um, or did have, a slightly easier schedule to end um, the campaign. Not necessarily because of the opponents, because with 11 games left, I mean, they still have to play many of the same opponents. But when you look at Barcelona's schedule, they were supposed to, well, they still have to, go away to Sevilla go away to Celta Vigo, go away to Villarreal. These are stadiums where they've dropped a lot of points in the past. But now if there's no fans there, if you don't have to go and, and win in front of you know 45,000 Sevilla fans, if you don't have to go away to Vigo on a Sunday night, which is absolutely packed and, and buzzing at Balaidos, if you don't have to go to a, a busy Villarreal stadium on a busy Sunday night under the lights, all of a sudden if there's no fans and less atmosphere... These trips are less intimidating and maybe that helps Barcelona, whose away form has been a lot worse this season than Real Madrid. So, uh, yeah, these are just the little things that uh, we're going to see how it all turns out. But little things that have changed because of the way football is returning 
and it might slightly favour Barcelona that all of a sudden they don't have to go to these tricky stadiums um, full of fans. They'll be empty when they play there. Now, looking into the other kind of race, I mean, we'll get to the relegation one in a bit, but the other race that we're seeing is qualification for the Champions League and for those European spots. You know, we have Sevilla still in third, and then all the way to seventh, where Valencia is, you have a five-point gap only for four slots occupied by Real Sociedad, Getafe, and Atletico Madrid as well. So there is that big race, and obviously, you know, it's been such an entertaining season of seeing the likes of a Sevilla under Lopetegui with Real Sociedad, with Getafe, and, and even for Atletico Madrid, who did not expect to be in this situation um, come the, the tail end of the La Liga season, and, and obviously beating Liverpool in the in the Champions League kind of gave them that boost. So from Atleti's perspective, and also from the other team's perspective as well, you know, how do you see this kind of top six race uh, battling out uh, towards the end of the season? Yeah, it's fascinating. It's really, really tight. And because the the way the Copa del Rey final is, is going to be postponed and um, so that it can have fans in the stadium when that does take place between Athletic Club and Real Sociedad, that means that seventh place is probably a Europa League spot as well. So Valencia um, currently occupying that one, but Villarreal and Granada aren't too far behind. So it's really, really tense, exciting. We've got Atletico Madrid versus Real Sociedad on the final day. I think that could still have a lot to play for in that game. Sevilla is an interesting one because almost every year, it doesn't matter who the coach is, it doesn't matter who the players are, and there's so much turnover there, just for whatever reason, every year towards the end of the season, Sevilla tire. They get really tired towards the end of the season. They start well, they finish poorly. But this time around, with a three-month break right in the middle of the season, maybe Sevilla won't tire this time around. Maybe they can keep it up and get Champions League football, maybe even finish third. So, yeah, Atletico Madrid can't afford to slip up because they really do need to keep qualifying for the Champions League for the financial health of the club. And it's going to be tough because Sevilla have been good, Real Sociedad too, and Itafi are just a foreign in everybody's side. Now, I would be remiss not to mention about Ibar, who obviously um, <laughs> will play their first game back against uh, Real Madrid, ironically. And, of course are still in that race um, to not get relegated. I mean, you know, they're only two points uh, below uh, 18th place Mallorca, but, you know, they obviously now have a huge task. You know, it's a team that is, is continuing to, to surprise all of us. Not, not even surprised at this point, you know, going into now hopefully a seventh straight year uh, in La Liga. I think for Ivar's perspective, they really need to look at these next few games, you know, Looking at the schedule, you know, they play Real Madrid, they play Bilbao, Valencia, Ibar, uh, Getafe. You know, they really have some, some, a, a lot of 11 finals, basically, to, to see them back continue for another season in La Liga. I mean, how, how do you fare their chances, um, Ewan? Yeah, it's going to be tough for them. Only two points advantage at the moment. That's very, very slim, a bit too slim for my liking, but... It's going to be interesting because they've already got experience of playing behind closed doors. They played Real Sociedad, uh, the final La Liga game that we had, the only one that was played behind closed doors before all of the football stopped. So they've had experience of that. Even at their home stadium, they've got two apartment blocks that look over. So behind closed doors, maybe they do have one or two fans that can lean out of the balconies and give them a bit of support. But it's going to be tough, especially because a team like Ibar, a squad like Ibar, isn't built to play every three or four days. It's not built for midweek rounds. And it's the same as well, I suppose, for Celta Vigo, 
uh, Real Valladolid, uh, Real Mallorca, Leganés. Uh, the one team who's very bottom at the moment in that relegation battle, Espanyol, they're 20th, but they were in the Europa League uh, this season. They got through to the knockout stages. Uh, so they have a big squad. They have a squad that's built to compete on Sundays and Thursdays. They haven't necessarily been competing very well, but they'd certainly have a bigger squad. They have players, they have depth. And maybe that will tell over the final few weeks of the season because there are going to be games every weekend and every midweek. And a lot of the smaller clubs that are in that relegation battle, they didn't build their squads last summer thinking that they'd have to play uh, every three or four days. So it's going to be a test of of how tough the squads are, how much endurance they have. And Ibar do worry because they have one of the very oldest squads in La Liga. Now, Ewan, you bring up a good point, and I want to ask you how that's going to play out because Spain is not the coldest place in the summer. Um, it is very, very mm. hot, very, very humid. It's it's almost tropical in nature. Uh, I know that the teams will get the five subs, just like FIFA has changed the rules, especially given the, the results of this pandemic. How do you see that wearing on some of the teams, maybe teams that don't have quite the depth that some of the other larger clubs have? Yeah, it's going to be warm, and especially after such a strict lockdown. I mean, in Spain, uh, for the first couple of months, you weren't allowed out to do exercise at all, you know. And a lot of the players have been speaking in interviews recently about how they live in apartments. Many of them have said, you know, I don't have a garden to run about. I, I live in an apartment, and so do I. My apartment in the centre of Madrid, you know, there's not very much space to exercise. So it's pretty tough for those couple of months to to, to try to exercise. And the first time I went for a run, I almost fell over because it was <laughs> it was warm, it was hard. And okay, these guys are professional athletes, but a lot of them are going to be out of shape. It's going to be quite tough for them uh, to come back, get back into shape and to do so during a Spanish summer. So that is maybe going to have an effect on the teams, especially in the South, who are going to have to play in those conditions more often. All of the games, fortunately, are going to be either kicking off late at night, you know, the time... Uh, slots that we have for the games are about half past seven local time or there's games at 10 o'clock um, and then there's a couple of games each weekend that they're planning at about one or two in the afternoon but those ones are always going to be for teams further north where it's not quite as warm but it's going to take its toll on the players for sure no doubt about it uh, currently when we when we return Lionel Messi leads uh, goal scorers in La Liga with 19 goals followed by Karim Benzema and then obviously the returning Luis Suarez at 11 goals it does does he win the Golden Boot in La Liga? Does he win the Pichichi? Or does uh, does Karim Benzema do anything to catch him uh, before the last 11 matches are over? Yeah, I think this one is for Messi. I mean, we have to remember as well that Messi has missed quite a few games already this season. He uh, had an injury at the very start of the season. He's, he's missed a few games. So even having given Karim Benzema that head start, Messi is still five goals ahead. So assuming he doesn't get too injured, I think he can keep the pace to to score enough goals to, to outscore Benzema. Um, of course, that won't be his priority. He would just want to win it. But mm-hmm. uh, Messi, just even without trying, seems to pick up the La Liga top scorer award every season now. They might as well make it uh, in his name at this point, <laughs> you would think. <laughs> they might uh, have to change it one day, yeah. Right. So I want to I wanna close uh, with two more questions with you, and they're prediction questions. First, I want to go back to Ibar. Uh, looking at their schedule for the last 11 matches, their fixtures, Real Madrid, uh, they've got Getafe, they've got Valencia, Granada, they have Sevilla, they have um, you know Villarreal as well, and they also have relegation-bound Espanyol. Does Ibar survive their last 11 matches and remain in La Liga, or are they, do you feel that they will get relegated after all is said and done? 
I think they will stay up, and the reason is because of the coach, Jose Luis Mendilibar. He's one of the toughest coaches in La Liga. He's one of the best motivators. He's a no-nonsense coach, and I don't think he'll take any slacking from his team. So I think he'll have his team in the right mindset to come back, which is a very difficult thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Three months pause, It's there's going to be some teams that aren't in the right mindset. I don't think Ibar will be one of those teams, so I think they will just stay up. Sounds good. Now, I, I, I actually, I, I misspoke. I had three more questions. I want to go look back and look <laughs> at Barcelona real quick because Kike Setien came onto the team uh, in January and really didn't get much. I had about seven or eight matches. Now that we've had this layoff, uh, you know, when he took over for Ernesto Valverde, he comes on now after having this, this massive layoff, but getting his team t- to be able to play with him and also getting Luis Suarez back, does Barcelona look different coming out of this, out of this break in your opinion? Yeah, so even before the, the break happened, Kiki Setien's Barcelona started to look a bit different. He sort of went to the 4-3-3 that Barcelona played for so long after trying a few experimental formations right at the start. Mm-hmm. So I think they will play that 4-3-3, which we're familiar with, but they'll do it in a Setien style. You do feel a bit sorry for Kiki Setien because with all this time off, Barcelona, it's not exactly like he's had time to... Uh, teaches players the ways of his tactics you know they've not been able to to work together you know you can maybe send a couple of tactical diagrams or have a chat on zoom but even then it's not the same as as putting in the hard hours on the training ground so Setien hasn't had the opportunity even now when they're training uh, over these past few weeks ahead of the resumption of La Liga the focus is really on fitness work and getting back up and into shape so I feel a bit sorry for him because he's not had much time to to work on his tactics and there's not going to be much time once the season starts because, as I've said, there's going to be games every few days. Right. And it's going to be interesting to see, actually, when we go to the 2021 season, if the Lautaro Martinez move happens, what what the team looks like coming out of that and starting into 2021 is going to be very, very interesting. Last question for you, and because this race is so close, two points separating the top two teams, I'd like you to give us your prediction as to how the season will finish and who our eventual champion will be. I think in the end, it's going to be Real Madrid. I said before, I think their schedule is a little bit easier. I do think Barcelona, um, maybe it's a bit easier for them now because some of the games I mentioned, uh, the tricky away games they had all of a sudden might not be so tricky. But I do think Real Madrid have the deeper squad, the five substitute thing and the games every few days, I think benefits them a bit more than Barcelona. You know, Barcelona have a bit of an older squad as well than Real Madrid. So I think Real Madrid with their young wingers, their young midfield, the energy they have and the deep squad they have. You know, players like James Rodriguez, you know, guys like him who can come in for a midweek game and do a job. You know, Barcelona maybe don't have players of the same quality if they go down to the sort of 17th, 18th, 19th player in the rotation. So I do think Real Madrid in the end will just beat Barcelona to it. Then we are in for one hell of a finish. Um, before I let you go, you did a podcast this week for La Liga Lowdown where you interviewed fans from 20, the 20 different clubs, uh, you know, kind of reviewing the season and getting back into the swing of things. Uh, you know, it's something that everyone should look for. We just retweeted it a few minutes ago, and, and definitely I'm going to go give it a listen. Where can everybody find your work, Ewan? Yeah, exactly. So we did that podcast for La Liga Lowdown. You can find La Liga Lowdown on on Twitter just as that. And yeah, we did this podcast speaking to one fan from each of the 20 clubs, which was really interesting to see uh, how everybody thinks their season's gone so far and their hopes and expectations for the rest of it. I can tell you that Phil Ball, the Real Sofidad fan we spoke to, was the happiest of the lot so far. And then my work personally, I'm on Twitter as well, at E McTeer, and you can find me there and we'll be sharing all 
all my articles and all the stuff we're doing at La Liga Lowdown too. Fantastic stuff. Again, Ewan, thanks again for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to have you on and look forward to all the work that you put in. And stay safe, and we hope to have you back again very soon. You too, guys. Stay safe. And special thanks again to Ewan McTeer for joining us on the show to look forward to a great La Liga season coming up. Rob, let me give you the second clue into our Who Am I tonight. Uh, the first clue I gave you was this Spanish midfielder started in, in the Real Madrid system but did not play for the senior team. He has played for three teams in two different leagues, and he is currently still active. The second okay. clue, ready for this, and this is the one that kind of struck me. Although this player is highly decorated, having won the Champions League, the Europa League, the World Cup, and the Euros, this player has never won a league title. How's that? Okay. Yeah. I was shocked when I heard that that fact. He never won a league title. I think I have an idea. Okay. Third clue I coming think. up uh, in a in a minute. Let's 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 go. Um, obviously, this this player since he won the 2010 World Cup has got to be a little on the older side. Let's let's go to let's talk about some youth, right? Uh, the first piece of youth I want to talk about, Rob, is I want to take it back to South America. And I want to talk about Wilker Farinas, uh, the 22-year-old goalkeeper, Venezuelan goalkeeper, moves uh, on loan from Millonarios to RC Lens as they've been newly promoted into Ligue 1. Um, this kid, you and I have talked about him before. We've talked about him during um, Copa America. We've talked about him during World Cup qualifiers for Venezuela. Massively, massively talented player. I want to get your thoughts on him and, and this move to Lens as opposed to sometimes where these players will move to a place like, um, like we talked about the Netherlands. We've talked about uh, the Portuguese league. We see a lot of that happening. He's moving to, to the French league uh, for a top flight. What do you think of this move for him? And, and, and for what does it speak of Venezuelan football? Well, I think it's a great move. I think it's something that was definitely in the waiting. I think because of his talent, um, I would have expected him to go much sooner. But given his age, he's 21, I think. 22. Something like that. 22. So very, very young, especially as a goalkeeper. So perhaps he just wanted to wait out on more experience in um, in, in Colombia at Millonarios instead of um, making the move yet. So, yeah, it's a good move. I think it's a really good move, and it, it could really prove to be a challenge for him. As you know, uh, Lens have been struggling in their defense. Um, you know, they, they, they just got promoted as well. So it, it's definitely a challenge to see if they're able to stay up and achieve something, and I think that's a better impression that, you know, obviously the eyeballs will be focused on him much, much more than what we're seeing in um, what we saw in Colombia. So I think it's a good move for him. I think obviously given his talent, even though he isn't the tallest goalkeeper, as we know, he's like 5'9 or something. So, you know, perhaps he could have those type of question marks when dealing with crosses or in set pieces. But as a complete shot stopper in front of goal, He's incredible. I've never seen, I've, at least in my time, um, in the last few years, I've never seen a young South American goalkeeper with this kind of a talent at such a young age. So, yeah, he's definitely made the right move. Um, I'm kind of curious as to why it's alone, though. Maybe that's a bit of um, a question, a question mark that I have to look into mm-hmm. as to why that's the case instead of a full transfer. But we, what I do know is that Millonarios and Lens have the same owners. Um, so obviously there's a big connection there, mm-hmm. and and yeah, I think um, overall we have to feel very positive for him to to get his move, and 
hopefully he'll be able to to prove why he was he, he was so good at such a young age. Yeah, it almost when you bring up the ownership, um, it almost feels like a, a Frank Lampard kind of move where where he was at Manchester City, moves to NYCFC, both owned by the by the Etihad Group. Um, my curiosity is. We've seen some great goalkeepers come out of South America, but mainly out of Brazil, right? I mean, we talk about, um, oh, my God, is, is, I know we have Ederson, we have uh, Alisson as well. We've seen Julio Cesar, you know, we've seen Dida, we've seen some great Brazilian goalkeepers. The the other goalkeepers that come to mind are guys like uh, uh, Fernando Muslera out of Uruguay. We talk about uh, Gallese that comes out of Peru. You know, we've seen some decent goalkeepers. Um, we've seen some older goalkeepers as well, you know, out of Colombia, but we've never seen a goalkeeper come out of Venezuela. I mean, what what are your expectations? Do you think this kid will continue on his shot stopping? I mean, obviously the shot stopping is, is a talent that he's he's got. We, he's already proven that. But can he develop his game to that next level, whether it be with his footwork or his aerial prowess, even being 5'9", where he can start to talk about maybe moving to one of these bigger leagues or, or, or these bigger teams? Well, time will tell. Mm. I mean, time will tell will definitely have to see i mean you know for venezuela as a whole i think you know they're in this kind of new generation as you know joe they made it to the u20 world cup final um three years ago Mm -hmm. only losing to england so i think he really has a lot of um expectation and i think also a lot of you know hope for him and you know as i as i mentioned before he's still 22 years old you know Mm -hmm. we've seen the likes of adana ruma who you know has completed more than i don't know how many games he's played for milan but you know, he's definitely someone that even isn't at the prime of his career yet. So I think um, I think if he's able to prove what he can do in France, and, and which obviously in, it, in itself is such a, a good league for young talent, I think that will eventually lead him to a bigger team. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it might be in this league, but perhaps in a different league. And, and time will tell. I think goalkeepers are obviously very essential for any team. I think... Because of their longevity as well, you know, you want to rely on someone that you could trust on uh, for a significant amount of time, um, and that's all you can ask for, really. I mean, there's we can't really say nothing much besides that uh, until, unless we see him uh, perform over there at Lens. So we just have to wait and see. But I think I'm very confident in what he's been able to show at, at such a premature young age, and that he can he has what it takes to to do something in France. Donnarumma currently 25, I'm sorry, 21 years old, so just right around the same age. Um, Donnarumma already at, at Milan has 166 appearances, believe it or not. So we've seen, we've, we've seen quite a bit of him. Um, but Farinas actually has more appearances for his national team. Uh, Farinas at 22 appearances for the Venezuelan team, Donnarumma for 16 so far, both the number ones at their respective countries as well. So um, it would be interesting to see, because especially given their ages, they're so similar. And their international experience is so similar in terms of how many matches they've played to see how these two rise up over the years and maybe you turn around in the next five, six years and, and see where they're both at. It's going to be, I think, an, a nice little experiment. One more thing that I'd like to add, Rob, because you know I have the running joke, right? All the best footballers are born in February. Both Gigio Donnarumma and Wilker Farinas born in February. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to make sure I get that in there. Um, so let's let's continue talking about youth, right? Because Farinas is just one of, of many young players that we see. But CIES um, Football Observatory came out with their list just uh, earlier today of the um, the most expensive Big Five league players. Uh, per their transfer value algorithm, okay? So their algorithm takes into, into consideration age and, and many other things. 
And topping the list um, is, in fact, first off, I want to say that there's no Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi on this list, which is kind of interesting that uh, we're talking about a top list of anything and neither name is there. But given their criteria, number one, or actually I'll start from number 10, Robin. I'll work my way up the top 10. Harry Kane at Tottenham Hotspur. Number nine, which is a great shout, Alfonso Davies at Bayern Munich. He's rated at 133.5 million euro, according to their... um, according to their calculations. Number eight, Antoine Griezmann at 136.4. Sadio Mane at seven at 139.2. Mohamed Salah at 144.9 is in sixth place. Number five, and I think the one that I want to talk about a little bit, Marcus Rashford, 152 million euro, um, ranked number five on this list. Number four, Trent Alexander-Arnold, uh, the the, uh, the back at Liverpool, 171.1. Jaden Sancho from Borussia Dortmund, 179.1. Then we have Raheem Sterling at number two, 194.7. And then the number one uh, transfer value in the big leagues, in the top five leagues, Kylian Mbappe, 259.2 million euros, according to CIES. Um, Rob, the first question I want to ask you, will we ever see any of these players go for this amount of money in the next five years? Yes. Okay, pick one. I did that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the Listen, I mean, well, okay. I mean, given everything that's been going on with COVID, you know, mm-hmm. we're obviously going to see transfers that are going to be much less so. Mm-hmm. Assuming that everything goes back to place in the next five years and playing devil's advocate, I, I think we will see it. I think maybe we'll see the... Maybe Mbappe, maybe Sancho. I mean, you know, it's tough. Davies, it really is tough to, yeah. to say. I mean, you know, we, we've seen transfers that have been blown out of proportion for some players, so mm-hmm. this would not be a um, a surprise to see it. And, and rightly so, you know, these transfer fees that they have right now can either increase or decrease with time. So... Um, it's it's tough to say um, if, if you're directing that question to me. Yeah, you know, I, for me, I, do I see any of these ten players moving in the next five years? Absolutely, um, I, no doubt about it. I, do, I definitely see it. You know, obviously the one the one that raises the red flag is Jaden Sancho. That the, everyone's kind of associated with him. I don't know that Davies will move strictly because he just got to Bayern Munich. I think the other one that is that, that could truly move on this list is Harry Kane. To be honest with you. Um, moving along from Tottenham Hotspur to uh, to a different club, um, but do I see them moving at these numbers? I think you're more likely to see Harry Kane move at his number at one one hundred eighteen million versus Sancho moving at his number, which is one seventy nine point one. I think I think the numbers because of the way they factor it are blown out of proportion a little bit. Uh, I, you know, I don't know that Kylian Mbappe would ever go for two hundred and sixty million pounds. I mean, a million euro. I, I don't what? think. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, well, these are values. Look what we talked right. about, Werner. You know, his value was significantly much more than what Chelsea are going to or supposedly will get him. So, right. this isn't uh, an actual representation of of the players themselves. I'm pretty sure, if, if if I'm honest with you, they aren't that much. They're, I think they're a bit well, given also COVID has kind of affected their values as well. Sure. I think they have to be decreased a lot. Yeah, oh, I, I agree. I, you know, that's that's my point. I agree with that as well. I think, especially in today's climate, that that's going to be the case. But, uh, you know, seeing these players, uh, of the ones on this list that I would think would move for a hundred million euro or more, right? I think the list is very short. I think it's Kylian Mbappe. I think Raheem Sterling could definitely garner a hundred million. Um, and I think 
it would be really, really close. I don't think it would, he would quite crest it, but I think Jaden Sancho might. But after that, I don't see any of these players moving for over 100 million euro. You know, and again, there's a lot to factor in there. Uh, you know, the clubs, the buyers, the sellers, of course, right? Because when you start to talk about 100 million euro players, you limit how many teams you can, they can go to. Now, some of the teams they can go to are Paris Saint-Germain, Manchester City, right? Um, United, of course, might have that kind of money. Barcelona would have that kind of money. Bayern Munich might have that kind of money. And these players are already in those, in those teams. So, I, you know, I don't know that these players would move, but I think if any of them would be Mbappe, um, I, th- I think I, I could see that happening, especially if, um, if they start to dismantle that project. I could see Mbappe going for a couple hundred million. They're going to need to recoup Neymar money, and that opens up a whole new can of worms. But um, I, I think you could see something like that. But I, it's interesting to see how these numbers are here. And I would love to see CIES factor in the revenue lost because of the COVID pandemic and how it, how that would affect these transfer numbers. And I wanted to see how much further down they would be brought because of the, the current climate. You know what I mean? I, I think that would be a great follow-up for them to do would be here's these top 10 now because of the climate and all the other factors that we do, this is the actual number that we think they would go for. And then, uh, you know, maybe Werner is, correct at 55 million instead of 65 million because of the climate right so i it'd be interesting to see um but certainly some young talent here a couple of teenagers right sancho davies um i think rashford he is he still a teenager or is he 20 finally 20 yeah so he just broke 21 mbappe um you know so so really young players obviously guys like salah mane um griezmann kane a little on the older side but certainly incredibly valuable um and a lot of uh, English players on this side, too. You know, five of these ten players are English. Okay, so that's pretty interesting. We have two Africans on this team as well. We have a North American on this list as well, Rob. So um, just not an American. So um, interesting stuff that came out of CIES. And, uh, and and they also did break it down by individual leagues. So if you want to look further, check out their Twitter handle. Uh, they, they, have it, they have it by position. They have it by leagues. Um, it's You can get down a wormhole or down a rabbit hole very, very quickly looking through this stuff. So interesting stuff for sure. Let's, um, let's table that and let's go to some matches of the week, Rob. Cause, uh, again, we, we're not just talking Germany anymore. We are kicking off in Spain. So on Thursday, we open La La Liga. We reopened the La Liga season with the Seville Derby that we talked about earlier with Ewan. Sevilla Betis kicking off at 4 p.m. Eastern. And then on Saturday, we go back to Germany for Bayern Munich, Borussia Mönchengladbach. It's a massive match. Because, again, Bayern only needs six points. They could pick it up. Uh, Gladbach did not show well last week. And now they're also in a fight for Champions League and Europa League spots. So they have a lot on the line. That's going to be Saturday at 1230. And then at 4 p.m., Mallorca-Barcelona are going to kick off. And on Sunday, we have Real Madrid and Ibar kicking off, which will start the challenge of who can catch who in that title race, those top spots between Real Madrid and Barcelona, especially without any El Clasicos left to play for in the season. So... Those are our matches of the week, Rob. I'd like to give you the third clue in the who am, who am I, but I'd like to give you the first two clues and get a guess out of you, okay? So uh, the first clue, the Spanish midfielder started at, in the Real Madrid system, this active Spanish midfielder, but did not play for the senior team. He has played for three teams in two different leagues, though. The second clue, although highly uh, decorated, having won the Champions League, Europa League, World Cup, and Euros, this player has never won a league title. Do you have any guesses for me? No. He's won he's won a Copa del Rey. 
He's won an FA Cup, but he's never won um, any of the Premier League or La Liga seasons. Has to be a Spanish player. It is a from... Spanish player. Yep. All right. Right. He's active. He's active. Midfielder. Midfielder. Okay. Yep, um, I was gonna say Fabregas, but I know he's won league titles. Okay. Does not say uh, Fabregas. Not says Fabregas. You'll definitely get it with the third clue. Uh, no, actually, I'll try it out. Is it Juan Mata? This midfielder was sold from Chelsea to Man United by Jose Mourinho. Ironically, Jose and this player have the same initials. Juan Mata. There you go. Great guess. I was shocked when I found out he didn't win um, a league title. I think he left. The season he Chelsea won the league title. That's correct. I believe that's, that's that, why. Yeah, that's why under Mourinho, you know that, that whole thing where the second year in in you know he wins the title and in the third year he's out the door. Um, mm-hmm. It was that year. Yeah. So um, Juan Mata, great uh, great uh, question there. So um, my friend, so we have matches of the week we've given out. We've given you the trivia answer. We've had a great interview with you and McTear. We've talked about Teamer Werner. I don't see anything left on the docket. So should we hit the closing music? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. And for episode 285 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Ewan McTear for joining us. Next week, we'll be bringing you another great guest. Also, reminding you to keep an eye out as the Serie A and Premier League get set to start. We are going to give you recaps on both leagues coming up within the next week or so. So, for episode 285 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. Good night.